This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. It's Thursday, February 16th. Flying can be scary. Taxiing on the runway shouldn't be. We start here. Complacency has no place in air transportation. After the third near miss on a tarmac in a month, lawmakers ask why pilots keep rolling into traffic. Industry insiders, they're all saying, what's going on? Now an FAA investigation is taking off. You need a prescription for opioids, but you also need a prescription for the drug that can stop an overdose. The more of it we have around, the more lives that can be saved. The rule on Narcan might be changing after a crucial vote. And it started as a neighborly dispute, then it turned to racist threats. Animals being gutted, our lives being threatened. A pair of black ranchers say it didn't take much for an entire community to turn on them. From ABC News, this is Start Here. I'm Brad Milkey. If you've been on a plane lately, you might not have a ton of confidence you're about to get where you want to go on time. The major meltdown at Southwest Airlines, holiday travelers still stranded across the U.S. Millions of Americans' holiday plans got jacked up in December, the result of staffing shortages and antiquated scheduling software. I still haven't got my money back from Southwest yet. They were supposed to get my luggage back. I've been looking since last night. And if you thought, oh, I'll just avoid that one airline, you couldn't avoid what happened next. We begin with the major computer failure impacting flights nationwide. The cause, they say, the failure of an FAA computer system that sends real-time crucial safety alerts to pilots. In mid-January, you might remember that the Federal Aviation Administration had to keep every flight across the country from taking off one morning, all because of what the FAA described as a computer glitch. A senior official says it appears an FAA computer engineer mistakenly replaced one file with another. It was so concerning that they scheduled this big hearing in Washington. That took place yesterday, but on the same day as that hearing, there was another worrisome development. A string of recent close calls, four incidents in just three months, the latest happening in Honolulu, a United passenger jet crossing the runway where a Cessna was landing. You see, for the last month, not only have computer crashes been a concern, but we've almost seen real plane crashes, both in the air and freakishly on the ground. Well, as lawmakers learned about yet another near miss on a tarmac, this hearing quickly shifted trajectory. Are you worried that any sense of complacency is now a problem? No, I'm, I'm not worried about that. ABC's transportation correspondent Gio Benita starts us off. Gio, what is going on at the nation's airports right now? I mean, we are talking about at least four incidents that we know of, right? Near misses. But then there was also one where a plane almost plummeted into the Pacific. And that was shocking because basically what was happening, this was a flight back in December. A United flight was taking off. It reaches 2,200 feet uh, taking off from Maui. The nose pitched up dramatically for just a few seconds. And at that time, that's when you heard uh, a lot of, you know, some screams and and gasps and things of that nature. And then all of a sudden, it drops to like 775 feet. So that's very close to the ocean. Uh, The weather outside was cloudy. And, you know, obviously with the storms going on, you couldn't see outside the window. So um, to me, that's a little bit of a silver lining. Um, 
it was able to recover and regain that altitude and fly all the way to San Francisco. But that was a really close call. And now, of course, we want to know, well, what caused it? Was that pilot error? Was that a mechanical issue? Uh, Neither United nor the FAA are saying. But no doubt about it, that's one of the things that they're going to be looking at, Brad. Delta 1943, cancel takeoff clearance. Then fast forward to January, and that's when we have uh, this American Airlines plane that was going down the wrong runway at JFK just as a Delta flight was taking off. There was a noise. Uh, The brakes were activated. All the passengers were thrust forward. We were all wearing our seatbelts, never going to not wear my seatbelt again. The Delta pilot literally had to slam on the brakes. All right, then. uh, The Delta 1943. Then we had in February this incident in Austin where you had this FedEx cargo plane that was attempting to land. Southwest abort. FedEx is on the go. It came within 100 feet of a Southwest flight that was just packed with passengers. 100 feet, Brad. Rightfully so. Uh, the FedEx crew saw the uh, Southwest. I, I'm, I'm, just, I'm asking if you have an answer today about why this occurred. No, ma'am. That investigation is still ongoing, but we'll certainly provide an update. Thank you, Senator Cruz. Now we're learning of a fourth one uh, that happened back in January, and this was a United jet that was told by air traffic control to stop on a taxiway, but instead it crossed the runway as a Cessna plane was landing, and that was back in mid-January. I mean, it's just unimaginable that we are seeing so many back-to-back. 45,000 flights a day, 16 million flights a year. We've gone 14 years. That's 220 million flights without an accident. That doesn't come by accident per the pond. I think that that's why the FAA is saying, okay, listen, we have an incredibly safe record here. We're doing really, really well. We don't want to take that for granted. And that's what the acting head of the FAA basically said. We need to look at the data and we need to ask the hard questions. Yeah, my, my hard question, Gio, is what is that? What's happening? Like, how could could this all just be coincidences? These are all just kind of clustered together. These these screw ups, or is there a reason that they're all happening right now? Well, that's what I think the FAA wants to try to answer. The initial focus will be to hold a safety summit to examine what additional actions the aviation community needs to take to maintain our safety record. I've spoken to the FAA and I'm saying, well, what is this safety review that you're trying to do? What exactly is it? Because doesn't the FAA always look at safety every single day? And they said, yes, every single day we do, but clearly something's going wrong here. But we all know that complacency has no place in air transportation, whether it's on the flight deck, in the control tower, the ramp, or the dispatch What's going on? Where is the miscommunication? And so they're going to be asking those questions. Uh, But yeah, I mean, all of us, all of us, and especially industry insiders, they're all saying, what's going on? And they are saying that for good reason. And just to be clear, Gio, because I'm sure this is where people immediately go, like this isn't like a hacking issue or like something nefarious. These are all accidents, it sounds like. Yeah, right now, we're not looking at any of that. Right now, this appears to be mistakes and a lot of human errors, it looks like. Um, In some cases, we had a a computer alarm system that was able to alert a pilot of an issue like that Delta incident with the American Airlines plane and the Delta plane over at JFK. There was a computer alarm system uh, that went off. Austin did not have that same alarm system, for example, that would let pilots know of a possible collision. The system works as it's designed to avert what you say could have been a horrific outcome. The pilots saw, uh, the FedEx pilots saw... Let me just underscore the urgency of preventing that sort of incident from happening again. Yes, sir. 
And so, you know, those are things that are going to be taken into account, right? All airports should probably have that. That's something that they're going to have to look at. Here's the good news, Brad. At least one person in the whole process of each one of these incidents realized that something bad was about to happen and they stopped it. Can I say to the American public that we are safe? The answer is that we are. Is the, if the question is, can we better be better? The answer is absolutely, and that's the piece we're working on. They are experienced to make sure that these things don't happen. And that's one reason why the American aviation system is generally very, very safe. Right. I know you've been reporting on all these staffing issues, and one of the concerns whenever you're dealing with staffing issues is people you know, running on fumes just not being alert enough. No sense that's what's happening here necessarily, but like that's what these investigations, I imagine, will be looking at. All right. Gio Benitez, thank you so much. All right. Thank you, Brad. Next up on Start Here, thousands of Americans are being killed by this poison, so why isn't the antidote available over the counter? The pharmacist will see you now after the break. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Have you ever wondered what you would do with an extra hour in your day? I think about this all the time. I'm like, I would be so productive. I'd exercise more, or I'd read a book, or I'd take a nap, like restore myself. We often find ourselves yearning for these extra hours, but the real question is, what would you do if you were making yourself a priority? Well, how about therapy? It can help you discover what's important so you can make the most of your time. If you've ever benefited from therapy, you know how transformative it can be. It's not just for those who have experienced major trauma. Therapy empowers you to learn positive coping skills, set boundaries, and become the best version of yourself. If you're considering starting therapy, you should give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and tailored to your schedule. You just fill out a brief questionnaire. You'll be matched with a licensed therapist. And here's the beauty of it. You can switch therapists if you're not finding the right fit. No additional charge. Take the first step. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash start here today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash start here. We all know there are things in life that you have to compromise on, but when it comes to your health, there should be no compromise. Don't go back to that one doctor, you know the type, like I've had this person before, that doesn't actually listen to you or who seems just in a rush to end your appointment that you spent months making. Instead, check out ZocDoc, the place where you can find and book doctors who will make you feel comfortable, listen to you, and prioritize your health. ZocDoc is a free app and website where you can search and compare highly rated in-network doctors near you and instantly book appointments with them online. You can search by location, availability, and insurance. So no compromises here because with ZocDoc, you got more options than you know. We're talking about booking appointments with tens of thousands of top-rated, patient-reviewed, credible doctors and specialists. Go to ZocDoc.com slash start here and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then find and book a top-rated doctor today. That's ZocDoc, Z-O-C-D-O-C dot com slash start here. ZocDoc.com slash start here. I'll never forget, back in 2016, I was covering the presidential election in New Hampshire, and this region had been experiencing an epidemic of opioid deaths. So when candidates went to town halls, it was all anyone wanted to talk about. What are you going to do to stop the overdoses? Well, in 2018, for the first time since the 90s, the number of drug-related overdose deaths mercifully went down. But in 2020, they spiked again. In 2021, for the first time in American history, they rose over 100,000. Think about that, 100,000 Americans gone in a year from drugs. And yet to go back to that question of how are you going to stop them? 
there is a way to stop some of these deaths. The drug naloxone, often sold under the brand name Narcan, can, in some cases, stop an overdose in its tracks. Yesterday, the FDA gathered a group of advisors asking them whether they'd support a move to make Narcan available over the counter at your drugstore. Let's go to Nicole Wetzman with ABC's Medical Unit. Nicole, what was this vote and, and what do they decide? Yeah, so the FDA kind of gathers these advisory committees to help it parse through a bunch of the data from drug companies about kind of what to do with with different drugs. And on behalf of the division and all of us here at the FDA, it's my pleasure to welcome you to this meeting. And so they were looking at naloxone, the brand Narcan. So far, naloxone has only been available federally by prescription. So you need a prescription in order to access this drug, which can be extremely life-saving. If someone is having an overdose and you give them this drug, it can reverse the overdose and, and save their life. But because it requires a prescription, that creates some barriers for people to be able to like access it and keep it handy for people in advocacy, harm reduction groups to distribute it to people who use drugs or to people who work with people who use drugs. I was going to say, you, and you might not need it for yourself, like you might need right. it for somebody else. Right, exactly. So a lot of the advocacy is around, okay, well, we should all just be carrying this drug because if you come across someone mm. on the street who's having an overdose and you happen to have Narcan on you, you can potentially save their life. It's, you know, you can think of it as similar to like, we should know how to do CPR. We should be carrying naloxone. Mm. Having nasal naloxone spray was a blessing because that meant my non-medical husband and father-in-law could rescue our sons. Each rescue of our sons with naloxone was yet another chance to live with additional recovery care. The FDA's advisory committee unanimously voted, yes, that this was something that could be used safely and effectively in a non-prescription over-the-counter form. And this has been debated for several years, Nicole, because a while ago I remember hearing people say, listen, if you make this life-saving drug more available, it sounds great, but it, what if it just encourages people to overdose more? Like, it's like you're giving them a safety net. Could that just encourage them to do more drugs? There's no downside here. A 19 nothing vote, I guess, makes it sound like that's not really a medical concern. Yeah, so that's not really a concern at all. And it's, you know, something that makes sense that people might instinctively think, but you could think of it as the same way as condoms, birth control. Mm. We have these conversations right. around things like that. Making something that reduces the risk available does not make people more likely to do the risky behavior. It just is going to protect them um, if they are in a situation where something goes wrong. I voted yes. And uh, in addition to being a pain doctor and an addiction doctor, I've also been in sobriety from opioid use disorder for 22 years. And uh, the evidence is compelling that um, the benefits clearly outweigh the risks and the urgency is definitely um, paramount right now. I actually had a friend who lost uh, her 19-year-old son about four days ago. So, you know, naloxone is life-saving. And the more of it we have around, the more lives that can be saved. And because we're in a situation with such kind of a crisis of overdoses and particularly opioid overdoses, having more ways to save people's lives is on the whole just a, a good thing. And so what is this going to look like at my local drugstore? Like if I like I don't know anyone in my life I think is going to overdose, but like what if I just want it? Like I'll just be able to walk in if they if they approve this. That still has to happen, I guess. Yeah. So the FDA will continue to evaluate. They don't have to take the advice of their advisory committee. They often do, but this was not like a binding situation. We'll know more on the FDA. We'll decide whether or not to approve um, over-the-counter Narcan by the end of March. So a couple weeks. But yeah, it's still a little up in the air, kind of what exactly the form might be. You know, we'd have to think about like packaging, things like that. But generally, yeah, like 
what you think of as a normal over-the-counter drug. Like you can go and buy a pregnancy test at the drugstore. Mm. Um, you can go and buy ibuprofen at the drugstore. You would be able to go and buy Narcan at the drugstore without having to have a prescription in any way, shape, or form. A big moment here in public health, perhaps, uh, unfolding right now. Nicole Wetzman from ABC's Medical Unit. Thank you so much. Yeah, no problem. Each year since 1928, this African-American history nonprofit has actually selected a theme for Black History Month. As in last year, the theme was Black Health and Wellness, understandable, the wake of COVID. The year before, it was Black Family Representation, Identity, Diversity. Well, this year, the theme is Black Resistance. This was unnecessary. You leave 200 miles to come to Buffalo, you don't even know any Black people. We all know the pure hatred and motivations behind your heinous crime. And we are here to tell you that you failed. Yesterday, families of the 10 black victims from the racially motivated Buffalo supermarket shooting confronted the gunman himself before his sentencing. A relative of one of these victims actually lunged at the shooter in court, had to be restrained by security. The emotions were just so overwhelming. Gunman Peyton Gendron later was sentenced to life in prison without parole, but when he was given a chance to speak to the courtroom, he said, hate, specifically hate for black people, was his motivator. I shot and killed people because they were black. Looking back now, I can't believe I actually did it. Well, halfway across the country, in a much more rural community, in a much smaller setting, another debate over racism and hatred has residents claiming... They're under attack right now. In rural El Paso County, Colorado, a husband and wife, both ranchers, claim they're being terrorized. And while in another place and in another time, this might have been a simple neighborly dispute, this couple says the fact that they're black has turned this into something much more explosive and dangerous. Let's go to Micah Smith. She's an anchor and social equity reporter with our ABC affiliate Denver 7. She's been covering this story extensively. Micah, I guess, first off, there's a lot to get to here, but could you just explain what the ranchers say is the conflict here? Could you walk me through this? Absolutely, Brad. And this is a very layered story, so I'll try my best to streamline things here. But CW and Nicole Mallory took possession of their 640-acre ranch in 2020. And they said pretty much immediately after moving in, they started having problems with their neighbor. There is a piece of land that divides their property and their neighbor's property. And the neighbor says that the Mallory's don't own that property, shouldn't be using that road. And the Mallory's say, we use that road because it's the easiest road for us to use when we're bringing in hay and feed and things like that. The Mallory's do own this property. The neighbor claims that the Mallory's have put up security cameras on their property, but facing her property that she feels is an invasion of privacy. So that's really where the dispute begins is between neighbors and the use of this road. And that's where we start to begin to see not just the Mallory's, but the neighbor calling on the El Paso County Sheriff's Office to get involved in this dispute. I've been informed this morning by a fellow service member that the police were called on us five times this past weekend for doing work on our land and performing while black. So after you see the back and forth between the neighbor and the Mallory's and they're asking the sheriff's office to get involved, the Mallory's say they start noticing small things. They start noticing cars that are sitting in front of their property. They started noticing that their Black Lives Matter flags were damaged. And after they started noticing these small things, they uncovered a Facebook page that was discussing their dispute with their neighbor 
But that also included comments that they felt were very threatening. What kind of comments? Some of these comments included things like, I saw all the Black Lives Matter flags on their property, didn't know that kind of crap was out here. Others said, do we have a limit in Colorado for pitchforks and fire sticks? Mentioning they want to go out there. Lynching us, bringing a lynching mob, having a public hanging um, fire. They wanted to lock us in and set us ablaze. Other comments included saying, oh, I might just drive down the road near there and have car trouble. That's interesting then, Micah, because you'd think that like once the cops get called, that actually generally de-escalates things like like no one's going to mess with it now that the cops you're saying that after they talk to the cops, that's when like more people start to find their way into this dispute. That is what the Mallory say. Hmm. They say that it did start as a dispute with their neighbor, but it escalated after the El Paso County Sheriff's Office got involved. Let me be clear about something. I do not have a neighbor dispute. My dispute is with El Paso County Sheriff's Department for enabling this behavior in what I believe is a modern day KKK assault against my family. So after we start to see the online threats, the Mallory's start reporting that their animals have been poisoned. Oh, God. One dog was poisoned. Uh, They took that dog to the vet who confirmed that that animal was poisoned. And after that, they started to see their baby goats poisoned. They had a few other animals that were disemboweled. So you start to see this escalation of violence. And the Mallory's expressed to me that that's when they became scared for their life. Animals being gutted, our lives being threatened, people being sent to our home um, under threat of lynch, lynching, hanging, pitchforks, fire. We had a chicken coop set ablaze. They felt that the sheriff's office response to the dispute with the neighbor was inadequate. And as they were reporting the things happening on their ranch, they also felt like the El Paso County Sheriff's Office response to that was inadequate. So they say that they became more and more fearful because they didn't know where to turn to for protection. Who else can you call for help if you can't call the local authorities to come out and help you? You're then like a sitting target. In their mind, the sheriff's office have provided more protection for their neighbor than them. Actually, I think maybe what happened was they were trying to figure out how to charge us with a crime. They felt like the neighbor was getting preferential treatment and that the neighbor side of the story was fully out in the community, whereas theirs was not. So much so that the Mallory's were actually arrested for felony stalking their neighbor. And when that happened, the NAACP decided we need to ramp up our efforts and provide help to this couple. So what's the sheriff's office saying? The sheriff of El Paso County, Joseph Royball, says that his department does not have any racist deputies and that if there was racism happening within his his department that seeped into the treatment of the people they're meant to serve, He would investigate that and root that out. Our actions and responses to the calls and complaints in the Yoder community have been objective and based on facts and law, not on race. I will say that when asked about investigating the Mallory's claims of their animals being poisoned, also when asked about investigating threatening Facebook posts, we just have not uncovered many answers in terms of how deeply the sheriff's office have investigated those matters. Between 2021 and 2022, 
the time frame during which the issues arose and has persisted, the El Paso County Sheriff's Office personnel have responded to over 170 calls for service involving several addresses near Yoder. What they have put out, though, are body camera videos of the Mallory's. They will not get this property. I don't care how many KKK people come up around here. Nicole Mallory in particular, who was not cooperative, pretty irate on several occasions when the deputies responded to the Mallory's property for unrelated cases. It's striking to me that the Mallory's moved to this town in 2020. Right. So, so as the rest of the country is watching what's happening with George Floyd, you got civil rights groups trying to draw attention to these bigger historical social issues. Then there's like a backlash to all that attention, especially from white Americans. And these are the exact moments in this story where all these tensions in El Paso County are getting more heightened. It is really interesting. And I will say the El Paso County Sheriff's Office did release 130 pages worth of records to me pertaining to the Mallory's. And when you read through those pages, you see repeated descriptions of Nicole Mallory as angry, as making everything about race, as uh, not trusting law enforcement. Mm. However, it doesn't really go deeper into the why. And it doesn't appear as though deputies sought those answers either. But again, I'm just reading through the legal documents pertaining to this case. Meanwhile, the sheriff did issue a letter reaching out to the Black and Latino Coalition, asking that coalition to coordinate a meeting with the Mallory's so that the sheriff and the Mallory's can sit down and talk. But the Mallory's say that meeting request is two years too late and they are not interested in that right now. Right. And I actually reached out to the sheriff's department myself. They said they've done everything they can to be fair and transparent. They said this public perception that they've been unfair has now led to members of their own team receiving threats. But they did not specifically refute anything in Micah Smith's reporting from our affiliate in Denver. Micah, thanks for being with us. Thank you. Okay, one more quick break. When we come back, they're full of craps. And apparently we are, too. One last thing is next. Hey, I'm Andy Mitchell, a New York Times bestselling author. And I'm Sabrina Kohlberg, a morning television producer. We're moms of toddlers and best friends of 20 years. And we both love to talk about being parents, yes, but also pop culture. So we're combining our two interests by talking to celebrities, writers, and fellow scholars of TV and movies. Cinema, really. About what we all can learn from the fictional moms we love to watch. From ABC Audio and Good Morning America, Pop Culture Moms is out now wherever you listen to podcasts. And one last thing. Lots of companies had a rough time last year. Inflation was rising. Every industry felt one supply chain snag away from collapse. You know which companies had a great year, though? These guys. That's right. Casinos just had a record year. And the Vegas Strip has never looked so bright. The American Gaming Association reports that in 2022, American casinos raked in 60 billion dollars in revenue. That doesn't even include the billions brought in by Indian casinos and lotteries. Last year, Americans gambled more money than ever before. Part of that is casinos themselves have become more tourist-friendly. Industry reps say that as casinos reopened, they were particularly attractive destinations for young people. Nice! How much is that? 65! 
and young people with their disposable income and lack of impulse control are exactly the type of customers you want. Which brings us to the other reason for the surge, sports betting. People can come here, place a bet on their team legally, go to the game, watch their team win, come back and get their money, and then play in the casino. This Super Bowl Sunday saw more bets than any other football game in history, not because more people are spending the day in casinos, but because in 34 states you can now place bets on those casinos' apps. They've made impulse bets even easier to place. Online bets were up 35% compared to the year before. And keep this in mind, this was during what many considered an economic downturn. Americans were worried about the price of eggs and gas. The average Caesars customer makes 82000 in household income. That's solidly middle class. The rich were not driving this trend. So-called vice spending often rises during a recession, gambling, alcohol. But there is no recession, not yet at least. And new retail numbers out yesterday suggest there might not be a recession anytime soon. Meaning, we might just be a country that's going to keep gambling more. The casinos are betting on it. Terrible casinos. Man, I just lose 10 hands of blackjack in a row, and there's the weekend budget. Like, goodbye. Meanwhile, my late grandma could, like, walk into a place, pull on a slot machine, and she just owned the place by the next morning. I don't know what I'm missing. If you're enjoying the show but you haven't subscribed yet, this is the safest bet of your life. Just hit that follow button for a new episode every morning. I'm Brad Milkey. See you tomorrow. People who disappear without a trace. Where is she? The most notorious murder cases in New York. Pure evil. And the most devious killers. There's a Hannibal Lecter feel to him. For chilling true crime stories, follow the True Crime NYC podcast wherever you listen.